is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dow Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach. And today, I welcome Lisa Wentz to the show. Lisa, I am so thrilled to have you on the show because you're going to talk about honing our public speaking skills to become the best versions of ourselves. And I know how important this skill is. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you're a public speaking expert and a coach. What are the biggest obstacles for you know the average person that's looking to perform more gracefully in the public eye? Not necessarily someone that wants to use their whole career as a public speaker. Mm. I think that it's lack of training. You know, it's a funny thing that we we grow up, we gain skills in life, we gain professional skills, and we put our skills to work. And then what ends up happening is we're in a work environment or perhaps just asked to speak somewhere, uh, you know, could even be at a wedding or something. And we suddenly expect that we're good at a skill that we've never trained in. So I think the most broad, to answer your question, the most broad answer would be just simple lack of training. And you're absolutely right. Whether it is the wedding toast or the boardroom pitch, we all have to use our voice in our professional and our our personal lives. Yeah. And then what ends up happening is we put pressure on ourselves to think that we should be perfect at it as something we've never really trained or practiced at. And so when you ask what's the biggest obstacle, I think that is probably pretty common where people feel... Uh, stage fright, basically, which is, and that could be, of course, to a greater or lesser degree, um, but commonly stage fright, we define as an expectation of perfection coupled with a fear of judgment. (laughs) And if you look at the logic of it, why would you be perfect or great at something if you really don't have the practice or the training to do it? Right. You certainly couldn't set out to play the violin unless you practiced or play a sport for that matter, unless you put the practice in. You know, what I find interesting, Lisa, you and I both know as public speakers that the fear of public speaking is real for so many. And I I have a fun little anecdote. Apparently the top two fears in the American data for humans, one is public speaking and two is snakes. I found that very interesting. (laughs) I didn't know that. That's funny. Now, you wrote a great book called Grace Under Pressure a masterclass in public speaking, and you examine the very real connection between negative experiences and self-doubt. So how do you help speakers get past these barriers? Because they're real. Yeah, it depends on the type of barrier. You know, it depends on what, where the self-doubt is coming from, what was the original catalyst, what did, what did it stem from in terms of what then would be the remedy for it or the best, most effective remedy for it. But I can give you a few examples. So for instance, you know, the, the phrase imposter syndrome is thrown around these days pretty commonly and it affects a lot of very um, successful people in their fields will often feel like they are a fraud or an imposter or they're not... Um, they're unable to take credit for a lot of the work that they do. And then when they go up to present themselves, that feeling of being an imposter or a fraud, being found out as not being qualified enough to be speaking on a certain subject is can be really debilitating. So for the clients that I've had that have come to me with those sorts of symptoms or those sorts of um, kind of blocks, I usually start with logic. You know, what is the logic of the situation? You, you are a founding member of this, let's just say, a founding member of this company. 
you're the CTO. That means you do know exactly what you need to be saying as far as the chief technical officer of this company. And I just sort of walk them through logic or it could be something else. In the book, I reference a woman who is a, the head of an art gallery who feels very much like she's a fraud. The, her list of accomplishments, her resume is just amazing. Um, so that's another exercise after meeting with her that I that I recommend people do if you start to feel like, well, I'm not quite qualified enough to speak on this subject, or I'm not quite qualified enough to have this promotion or something like that. Write out a list of your resume and not only your resume and make it very, just for your own eyes, make it very thorough. Also list what you were doing in your life during those times. So for instance, because that could be really esteem building, you know, so not only was, for instance, I'll just give an example myself. When I was in my um, undergraduate degree, I was taking care of my brother who was unfortunately dying of cancer. So that's in addition to the stress of going to school and uh getting, you know, graduating, I was also dealing with a very big, personal, huge, life-changing experience. And I think that not enough people give themselves, people with imposter syndrome, not only do they not give themselves credit in their professional careers, they also don't give themselves credit in their personal lives or their struggles or their things that they did, which when they really take a step back and look at it in a logical way, you can say, oh, wow, I've actually accomplished quite a lot. And I've already overcome obstacles. I already know how to do this. Do you know what I mean? So again, so the answer is really the first step is always apply logic. Beautifully put. It also speaks to the ability to uh, be resilient, right? And to recover and to work through those kinds of challenges. Well done. I like that technique a lot. Lisa, let's talk about the reality of nerves. Even someone who who does practice and put that time in can often experience those butterflies or that nervousness before they go on. So what are your thoughts about how to power through that? Well, first, accept that it might happen. Uh, and it can happen to anyone, just like you said. That way, if it does, if you are triggered in a certain situation where maybe you have a very high stakes meeting or you have to deliver some bad news to the board or something like that, accept that that may be the reality. That way, if you do feel nervous, it doesn't throw you off as much. Secondly, uh, your physiological response to stress or nervousness, try to acknowledge exactly what it is. Get to know how you respond does your neck tighten? Does your does your hand shake? Do you get sweaty palms? Do you um, breathe less? That's a huge one for most people is to tighten in the chest and breathe less when we have our adrenaline rush kind of coming up when we're nervous. Uh, the remedy there, counteract that adrenaline rush with breathing and with appropriate breathing. And when I say appropriate breathing, breathing that is really for speech not yoga breathing, not deep inward meditation. You want to do the exercises, and these exercises, of course, are laid out in my book, and you can find them other places, um, that support the voice and slow down your adrenaline rush. If I'm going to speak somewhere, anywhere, even at a book signing, I will do a breath and, and a voice and speech warm up before I go so that I'm already warmed up and ready before I have to hit the podium or that stage or a meeting or whatever it is. Set yourself up for success. Don't think, oh, I'm just completely fine. And then try to get yourself calm 30 seconds or a minute in. Does that make sense? It certainly does. Preparation is essential. My background is in singing. So I was fortunate 
to learn that technique of breathing. And it, and it does, it supports our sound. And as you said, physiologically, it's different than yoga breathing, for example. Powerful as yoga breathing is, uh, it's so important to understand our bodies and how the vocal mechanism works. Let's talk about articulation. One of my pet peeves is someone who leaves a voicemail message that is barely intelligible, could not understand their name, couldn't understand their muffled message, and I'm reticent to even try to follow up because if they couldn't speak clearly enough for me to understand who they were, I've written them off. What is articulation and how can we improve that? Mm-hmm. So the articulation of language or sound, the physical articulation is a, is exactly that. It's um, the shaping of sound is technically what articulation is in terms of the physical parts. And in terms of the English language, uh, You know, there's so many accents within the English language in just even America alone. But then, of course, then you have foreign foreign accents, non-native English speaker accents. And sometimes it's true that the clarity can be disturbed um, when somebody is speaking with an accent that's not necessarily a general American accent or an accent that is um, not in the mainstream. Um, so there's that part of the puzzle. And I would suggest for those people, if, if, if a listener is listening to this and is getting that kind of feedback where people are leaning in or saying, I don't understand you or, or whatnot, articulation exercises are some of the easiest things to do and they have the quickest and the greatest effect on an audience. So having, so I want to set that aside for a second. Now, if somebody is just simply slurring their words because they're just not using their articulators in a sharp way, um, yeah, I would encourage listeners if they've ever uh, heard themselves recorded and heard that to again apply some articulation exercises, things that you could do in two minutes that will change the way that people perceive you. Because people who are very physically articulate with language are always seen as high status or and or very intelligent. It's an interesting thought too. You suggest listening to yourself, and and I would take it a step further. And say, record yourself, listen to your own voicemail, do that kind of self-audit, because we often are so close to our own voice, we don't hear it as others do. Yes, I'm sorry, that's what I meant. To So take a moment to record yourself and record yourself before and after doing exercises. So you have, it's measurable that you are doing the right thing and it's working. Excellent. Lisa, you write so beautifully about authenticity and many people compare themselves to others. They think that they should sound like someone else. And you believe that we should develop our own authentic style. Tell us more about that. Well, first and foremost, I do think it's a trap to compare yourself to others and question why don't you sound like them or why, why you know, I want to sound like them or something like that. You're meant to sound like you. It's your voice. It's your personality. And that's something you should own. And um, I think that there's nothing wrong with saying, oh, I like this speaker in the way that they use humor here, or they might do something else there. So borrowing a little bit of technique here and there, fine, as long as it's genuinely you that, that's delivering and not you're not pressuring yourself to sound or perform like someone else. As far as how to do that, going deeper, a little bit further, I think that there is a part of, of us that, you know, sometimes we don't want to reveal ourselves very much, you know, and we have different parts of who we are and we'll reveal different parts of who we are given the, given the stage and circumstances. But I think in the end, this might sound a little bit California new agey. We have to like ourselves. 
we have to decide this is the person I am. This is who I am, how I'm showing up, and I'm going to be me authentically. And that, I honestly think, is the most powerful thing for an audience to see. If you're just a fearless, authentic person. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And and that audience could be a thousand people in a conference arena, or it could be two people across the table in an intimate business meeting. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about a little bit more about preparation. You mentioned before uh, a talk that you might be giving, you have a process of, of warming up and getting into that zone. How important is that mindset in order to present confidently and comfortably? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have touched on a couple things. One is, you know, knowing your material and knowing that you are the person to be speaking it. And even if you're going to end up in a Q&A situation where you may not have every single answer <laughs> under the sun, you may be presenting, you may be working with a team and you're presenting material that you have some expertise on. And then there's other parts where you're going to hand that other question off or just say, I'll get back to you on it. But ultimately, being prepared to say that I am the right person to be giving this particular speech. Here's what we're going to be, the preparation part. Here's what we're going to be talking about. This is what the audience needs to hear. This is the information they need to hear. Um, And here's what I want them to do with the information and doing all of that prep work before stepping, stepping up to the podium. And for in terms of preparation, some people like to write out their speeches or their talks. Some people like to just bullet point. You have to find what's right for you to make sure that you don't feel caged into a particular delivery or bound to a particular thing. Um, But that's again, that's up to the individual. Um, But the preparation, I think, thinking through the logic of those steps and really thinking about the audience, not yourself, the audience, what do they need to hear? What is the important information for me to get across for them? Excellent. I'm grateful for your uh, wisdom and helping the speakers who are listening understand how important the audience is. We need to really put ourselves into their shoes or in this case, in their ears. We'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to learn more about. We want this podcast to serve you in all of your career and life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedoubthiggins.com. Lisa, your book is divided into three parts. What holds us back, vocal training and delivery. Do you find that all three of these are equally important or does one stand out as the most important? That is a fantastic question. Um, Before I answer it, I just want to say that, you know, they're all interconnected. We are, human beings are mental physical creatures. We function as a whole. And that's why I keep talking about the logic and also your physical preparation because they go hand in hand. Um, But I think if, so hard to say, for most individuals, honestly, it's the middle of the book. It's the physical training because you could have a great coach you could have great direction, you could have great technique, and certainly I teach all that, 
Um, but if the, if the physical side is off, like if your adrenaline rush really does take over, if you really do get nervous, if you're really not breathing, if you're not able to articulate your words that day for whatever reason, then the message will be lost. Ultimately, we have to hear you, right? <laughs> that is the most important thing, ultimately. Absolutely. Well, and I love the subtitle of your book, A Masterclass in Public Speaking. And again, from my musical background, the masterclass is an incredibly important part of your journey as a musician, and in this case, as a public speaker, because you are a a technician, Lisa, and you're walking us through in the book how to do certain things, how to train your voice to speak in the best possible way and be comfortable in your own voice. Yeah, and the reason that that subtitle came because we are because of the three sections. So we're starting with the internal struggles, some of the, the um, things that might hold us back, the blocks that we might have, self-doubt, whatnot, how to work through those, how to train the voice, posture, breath, the vocal sound, articulation, um, and then finally more directorial advice, how to shape the speech in terms of deliber- delivery, uh, what presence is really all about, what word stress is really all about, and so forth. So it is a sense of a cla- in a sense, a class that takes you from beginning to end. Yeah. Beautifully done. So you also teach speakers to really hone and build storytelling techniques without it turning into war stories or the memoir. We've heard those as well. And in a certain setting, those are appropriate. But tell us why storytelling is so important for the audience. Right. Well, you are right that it depends on the particular speech. Uh, Certainly, if you look at a TED Talk, there's a lot of storytelling, even in the TED Talks that aren't particularly personal, there's still going to be something. And I think that in order to motivate, persuade, inspire an audience, if that's what your goal is, if you're giving them a nugget that's personal, or if you're tying in whatever your bigger message is to a personal story or, or journey, a short one, it's easy for them to kind of come into that world and, and buy in a bit um, because you're not really asking them for anything other than to just join you on an example or a journey or a story. So to put some storytelling into a speech, again, when it's appropriate for the audience and the style of talk and whatnot, I think can be very powerful. You know, if you look at, for instance, commencement speeches, you have storytelling and commencement speeches and look at how powerful they are. There's always such a good message that the speaker will will be giving to those new graduates to help them. And it's there's always a major, very large personal story and personal journey about how they got to be where they are, that speaker. You know what I mean? So I think it could be very helpful in terms of pulling the audience into your story, really getting them engaged. You know, I have a theory on posture. You talk about posture beautifully in the book. And I think in our digital driven age with devices, you can just see the posture of individuals decline. Our heads are low. We're looking at the cell phone or the mobile device. And posture has really changed. Has that impact public speaking? And how important is posture as a speaker? For me, it's really important. That's why I talk about it, of course. Um, It supports your respiratory functioning. It supports your voice. There's no reason to have excess tension or a collapsed posture. You don't need to. Um, The other thing is there's a lot of subliminal clues that audiences get when they're watching a speaker. And sometimes that can be extremely important, especially, let's say, in a courtroom where 
large amounts of money could be on the line, a life could be on the line, you know, who knows? Um, who do we trust? Who's the speaker that we, that we trust? Probably the one that isn't tense, the one that isn't collapsed. Um, there's a status and, and uh, believability that comes with having a very upward, neutral, uh, relaxed, but up, so to speak, posture. If you look at some of the great speakers that we think of as greats, were any of them collapsed and kind of pulled down? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> you know. I also think good posture puts the ease and it helps them with you because they feel and see your confidence. Yeah, I mean, anything, you know, method acting, for instance, uh, of this basic definition is that the audience will experience to some degree the experience of the character. That's what method acting was for, basically, to develop that. And for public speakers, similarly, the audience will experience to some degree what the speaker is experiencing. If the speaker is very nervous, if they're holding their breath, if they're shaky, the audience will feel a little nervous. If the person has a very collapsed, sort of tired posture, the audience may not look at them and think that. You might not look at them and say, oh, they don't have a very balanced head-neck-back relationship. Of course, you're not going to analyze that way, but you yourself might just suddenly start getting very tired. And of course, we don't want that kind of an, uh, experience for our audience members. We want them to stay engaged. We want, or why bother speaking? Lisa Wentz, what a delight to have you on the show. I learned so much from you today. Your book is called Under Pressure, a masterclass in public speaking, and it is available on Amazon and major book retailers. Lisa, thank you for sharing your wisdom and expertise with me today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a great conversation. Thanks, Lisa. And if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, and even better, leave us a review because that helps people find us online. And let me know what career-minded issues you would like for us to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And I want to give a shout out to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, our Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.